Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my, well, okay, this episode is a bit different. I'm not going to lie. So, so in this episode, we actually have our co-hosts as our special guests, as our interviewees from OSR+. Plus. So we're joined today by Daniel Quinn, Courtney Staples, and Johnny Law. And like I said up top, it's it's a bit of a weird one. But before we get into today's interview, I would like to remind everyone that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on YouTube, where you can click subscribe and the bell, all that good stuff to listen to us alternatively. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Let's World Build. If you'd rather talk to us more directly, you can always go to our Discord and chat with us about, oh, I don't know, world building in general or whatever you want, really. Come chat with us at the Discord with the link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon where you'll get access to sweet, sweet patron-only goodies, such as the Aphid Lounge, Too Hot for Broadcast, and two episodes for your prompt instead of one. Now, with all of the shilling out of the way, let's dive right back into our interview with the crew from OSR+. Plus. So, we already know who the hell y'all are. So, tell us why you're here. Now, Daniel, you are the mastermind, the creator of OSR+, Plus in many ways. So, why don't you take us through the journey of OSR+. Plus? What is it, and how did you come up with it? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I come from second edition a long time ago and that's kind of where i started um and then actually when i started playing with you that's when i got involved with a lot of the powered by the apocalypse games and i've always wanted to work on an rpg that for me solved all of the problems i dealt with as a gm um and as you can imagine 2e is just really has a lot of rules especially advanced dungeons and dragons and i remember during the pandemic setting up a game for my longtime friends from like fifth grade to continue a campaign that we did when we were kids and i spent like months putting together these binders with all the stats and everything i wanted to do and i'm like this is this is just too much work and when i was talking to john and his wife we were like I, they were, they've never played rpgs before i'm like hey why don't why don't we get you into a, an rpg and i started developing the system and so a lot of the things that i wanted to solve for it ended up being solved while i played with them so OSR Plus um, stands for Advanced Old School Revival, kind of a throwback to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And I think of it as having three kind of qualities that make it um, at least important to me. Uh, one, it still has the sort of traditional mechanics you'd expect from like an old school retro clone from D&D. But because of what I learned when I was playing with Rob and then started diving into those Powered by the Apocalypse games, it, it gives some of the mechanics you'd get from PBTA that lets you control the narrative as the player. And it also is pretty highly modular in the same way that AD&D was, where you can build characters from smaller components rather than it being a top-down class-based approach. So those three things, I think, are the kind of core of what OSR is mechanically. And I also drew inspiration on us building it from a number of uh, OSR games. Warrior Rogue Mage uh, was the reason why I decided to just go with a single D6, because I was like, how simple can we start with this? 
And then there's another booklet called Wonders and Wickedness that had a really interesting take on magic that made it uh, a matter of figuring out the logic rather than having lots of really wordy spells. So, uh, you know, as it's, as I started developing it, um, the players got involved. So John got back into D&D with his own brother and we started working on it together. And then Courtney, who has a design background that you all know, uh, she got involved both mechanically and on the design end of things. And then my, my longtime friend, David, who was in that game that I tried to put together uh, after, I don't know, 15 so years, he started to work on the recordings that we were doing because we over the past four years have accumulated something like 470 hours of actual play recordings, which we use as, you know, A, testing and B, future material uh, now that we're getting the YouTube channel out there. I just want to jump in to reestablish my street cred that uh, DQ, you said that I had never played an RPG before and That's I was right. actually in first edition. So yeah. just you know, wanna, just want to establish the elder lines here, um, <laughs> yeah. but it was true I hadn't played in probably two decades. So I was very excited when you when you first showed me your rough draft of the rule set you're building, and then I think it was a couple of months later that you're, we were it was it was before pandemic, but um, mm. that's what really took off. But I think you you're like, hey, do you want to play a game? Let's get you know, Allie and I had moved away from New England down to PA, so I was like, hey, let's reconnect this way with our buddy Cat and the other two of us. And then yeah. your mother got back into it too, right? Like he got back into regular D and D once yeah. he started us playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's the he was my original DM, you know. And he he started playing. He got his daughter and his wife and his neighbor and his neighbor's kid. He just started kind of messing around with that, and then we turned that into a whole family thing. And then eventually, you got in with our buddy Jay, and yeah, so we got a little five E in there. Yeah, and um, I got into it. Daniel actually invited me to be on a episode of Dungeons and Flagons, which is something that John hosts and Daniel GMs. And as the name implies, it involves drinking sometimes rather heavily and uh, playing a sort of parody version of this game. And that was the first time that I played the OSR Plus system. And despite never having played it before and despite imbibing a number of beverages that night, I, I still learned it in one go. I was able to make a character. I was able to like understand the rules and just dive right in and had a blast with it. What and a tagline for OSR Plus. <laughs> OSR Plus, you can play shit-faced. Pretty much, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck yeah. We have actually had, I think, at least two players who have never played an RPG before play their first time ever Yep. on Dungeons and Flagons and they get it and they get into it and they're really they have a lot of fun with it. And good. Yeah, they do a really great job. And I, I don't know if the alcohol helps or hurts that, but <laughs> um, anyway, so so I got kind of involved in some more games. And then I think Daniel, I probably was talking to you about like the the site layout and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you asked like would I like to be a part of the the core team and focus on art and design and visual aesthetic stuff. So yeah, I, I joined in and kind of ended up doing some other stuff too, like copy editing and some mechanics discussions, even though those aren't my favorite and things like that. So it's, it's been a lot of fun though. You always bring a unique perspective to the mechanic conversation <laughs> though. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice rounding. Out. But usually the two of them get together and they make me realize that I'm being ridiculous. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that happens sometimes. Wait, what, Daniel? <laughs> what? What? No. Oh man. I mean, just to piggyback on that, I think one of the things that really works though is that, especially with the three of us, that we we all take criticism very openly from each other. Yeah. And it's not a like, oh fuck, fine, yeah, okay, I'll do that. But like, we really kind of like feed off it. Even yesterday, I was mm. editing. Uh, we started putting out shorts on the the OSR Plus YouTube channel, just showing what Dungeons and Dragons and how ridiculous it is. And I came up with this idea. I was like, oh, I have this all this empty space. What if we put like a logo here and do this? And I show it to them, and they're like, yeah, that's a cool idea. But and then like two hours later, I'm finally back to editing because we went through all the different things, <laughs> fix the logo and, and change the opacity of it and all this stuff that I would never think of. And then I go back and look at my original like mock-up and I'm like, oh my God, that looks like dog shit. <laughs> like, like how they not laugh at me when I, I mean they probably have Aww. a channel where they're laughing at me but no i mean there's layers that like the same thing happens to me when i look at something i made that then courtney revised i'm like jesus this is so hideous compared to what she did <laughs> yeah. you know? so it's like there's layers of that but it works well but in the same yeah. thing like dq will be like you know in my defense he'll be like oh i can't figure out like how to do this like this mm-hmm. mechanic and i'm like yeah we could just do this and this and that and that and he's like oh all right. Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, it's it's all been very collaborative, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes we'll disagree on something, and then a week later it's like, wait a second, we we have a way to compromise now, or we mm-hmm. see the other's point, and we can work through it. So it's it's yeah. been a really good uh, team effort, I would say. Just like how it should be at your table, folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you said that you've been working on this pre-pandemic, right? So this mm-hmm. clearly has been in design for quite a long time, under development for quite a while. Uh, writing should be easy. So why has it taken you so long for you to write OSR Plus? Uh, Explain that process for us. Yeah, um, as you can imagine, the writing of any text requires a lot of revision. Um, and in role-playing games, they also require testing, which is so unique to these particular types of games as compared to other texts. And in fact, I have, I don't know, like four or five full 60, 70 page drafts of earlier versions of this. Um, And I think in the beginning it evolved, it had to evolve out of being some sort of fantasy heartbreaker. And the questions I asked myself when I was, you know, be onboarding like John and Allie and Kat, who Kat had never played an RPG before. I think Allie never played. John had played when he was really young and 1E. And I was like, well, this needs to be something where we can get immersed really quickly and not have to think about the rules. And I, as a GM, don't want to be bogged down by it either. I want to be able to run adventures and have fun and make it quick. I want to spend two hours putting an adventure together, not like of a month, right? <laughs> and looking at mm-hmm. some horrible adventure module that I had to wrangle to make work. So it took so long because I was constantly revising. And then once, you know, John and Courtney were collaborating, we started revising individual components of the system. So I think mm-hmm. today, like, I think we, honestly, the past month over packs. We're bolting on one last piece, I think. And then it'll really be system complete, I feel like. But it, it took so long because it required feedback and testing. And I think when you're designing any system, you have to do that. Otherwise, it's just theory crafting. And, you know, you're just mm-hmm. like, you know, what do you call it? Circle jerking. That's pointless. I'd also like to add that DQ, and for the folks listening, Daniel equals DQ. That's just how I know him. Um, but DQ also has built everything himself from the ground up. The whole yeah. website, everything is him. I mean, I think you had a little bit of help with like icons back in the day, but you've replaced those since then with ones that you generated yourself. And on top of that, this isn't his job. No one's paying him for it. 
So he's got a job, you know, family life at home. And then he's been building this amazing system and website himself. So that's also, I would think that would take some time, you know. Got the website. We we had the least three iterations of that too. There's one iteration you guys never even saw. Yeah. <laughs> that I just trashed. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. So, so that's that's one thing that I was trying to get at as well is the fact that you're completely underselling the fact that you have an entirely like a fully integrated character creator set up through the website that gives you mm-hmm. a quick and easy way into the system, right? It's not like you have to send somebody a PDF and then they have to <laughs> yep. read through that PDF and they have to flip back and forth to figure out which subclass that they want to use and which race they want to use. Daniel, the fact that you are either like way past it and you've forgotten all of the hard work that you've put into that website, <laughs> or you're really just that humble. And I know you, so I know that's not it. So I think it's mostly the exhaustion that's kicked in at this point. The fact that you have a fully operable character creator that is integrated within the system itself is incredibly impressive. And you should be proud of that system. Damn straight. <laughs> I kind of forgot. I did kind of honestly forget. I know you did, Daniel. I know it's you like, did. It's like uh, mothers who give birth and their hormones make them forget. Yes. You know, that, that's, that's what Daniel's yes. gone through here. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do my best as the interviewer, lobbing you like the softest of softballs so you can knock them out the park. And you're like, I don't know, writing's hard, iterated process, whatever. And it's like, you forgot the fucking website, Daniel. You wrote a whole ass website. So- I got to jump in with my sales pitch here that uh, uh, speaking of the character creator that uh, <laughs> for all those listening, if you go to osrplus.com and make a free account, you have access to the complete character creator, as well as the core rules, as well as a GM manual, which is literally a book, a philosophy book on running TTRPGs in the OSR plus system. So that's all free. That will always be free. Check it out. Damn. Yeah. I guess the one thing to say too about, the system, one of the things I wanted to make the web portion of it, the technical portion of it capable of was, you know, we have lots of campaign settings, which we call worlds of OSR plus that we have been playing in and documenting and they're recorded. There's at least like, what, I'd say eight or nine of them. Um, that down the line, we would like these to be physical books that you can buy, right? But the idea with the website is that we can plug them into the website and automatically they become part of the whole system. So you end up with all the rules getting ported directly into the character builder. That way we can rapidly deploy these things. So, you know, when there's a physical book for the core rules and the game master's guide, our hope is that then we can release one after the other of these adventure modules. And then the website automatically supports that. So you can go into the character builder, you can make a new hero and your hero can use special rules from say God beyond the portal or the long night, which are some of the random, you know, adventures we've created. Um, And, and, the reality is the web is constantly changing and who knows how long, <laughs> how many times I'll have to revise the site. But the, the idea is that the system was designed to be deeply integrated with technology. Um, you can mm-hmm. play it at the table, but you can also play it remotely. And in fact, 99% of what we do is remote these days as far as the gaming goes in our circle. Yeah, and having it be fully online just makes it so convenient to do anything with. I mean, like Daniel said, we've been playing online playing remotely, which lets us play with, you know, John's in Pennsylvania, uh, Daniel and I are in Massachusetts, David's in Florida. So we can all get together around this virtual table and have a good time. And everybody can reference everything super easily. We don't have to, you know, flip through 
hundred plus page books to find out the rules. You can just search. Everything's on there. And like John said, it's all free. It's also fun too when I'm like on a different forum or, or a different Discord and you know someone's like, Oh, how do I do a chase scene in 5e? Like, I don't like the rules that they have in, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And then I'm like, oh, check out this. You're gonna have to convert things because it's a D6 system, not a D20 system. But like you can take inspiration from this. And I just boop, drop the link to the website, and it's you know, anyone can go it. You don't have to access anything, you don't have to sign in. You know, it's not like DD Beyond where you have to have an account and everything all set up, just boop, right there. Um just I know that we're supposed to be talking about OSR plus, but can we all just sit here and discuss for a moment how fucking dog shit the 5e dungeon master's guide is? It's just <laughs> oh, yeah. so fucking terrible. Sorry, okay, we'll get back to the OSR plus stuff now, but I, I just I couldn't let that stand. I couldn't sit there and not talk about how terrible it is. Even Justin Alexander just talked about it. But anyway, so Daniel, okay, you, you were talking about like worlds of osr plus now can you explain a little bit more of like what that looks like how is that integrated and for example like could we have like a world build with a setting integrated into the system somehow yes that is our plan i mean that was one of the things i had in mind in the beginning you know being able to port over um world build with the settings and turn them into osr settings um on the technical end of things take for example god beyond the portal this is a um a kind of a supernatural horror game that we've been playing. Um, so what the setting introduces, obviously, is the physical location of the setting and all the lore that comes with it. It introduces special mechanics called archetypes, which are sort of like, they're equivalent to the um, playbooks in PBTA. They're genre-focused roles that your characters play that sit on top of your other mechanics, like your class and your kit and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, it introduces special mechanics that are unique to the setting. So in the case of God Beyond the Portal, there's horror mechanics and there's stress mechanics. Mm -hmm. Then it introduces, you know, things like a music playlist and art. And um, if there were in the future, a physical book that you could get that has the adventure in it. Um, so it's, it's the same as having like a Forgotten Realm setting, but they're much smaller in scope mm -hmm. because we want to rapidly release them. And then if you go to the website, we do have premium subscriptions where if you're subscribed, you then have access to every setting that will ever be produced as long as you're subscribed. So you can use it in the character builder. But even if you didn't have that, you can still access the rules like on the website and potentially you know, buy the book would be nice. Um, so <laughs> the idea is that there are version of expanding the rules with campaign settings, but they typically would be um, very genre specific. So we've run a lot of crazy things in the system so far. You know, we've done sword and sorcery. The main staple is a sword and sorcery one called the Quest of Queens. We've done um, high fantasy kind of Harry Potter game. We've done like a Planescape-esque adventure in our version of the Astral called the Astral uh, Veil. We've done steampunk kind of a fantasy and that was the mm -hmm. long night so we have a whole bunch of ones that we've tested mm -hmm. and run but because we run six or seven games every month in our discord with sometimes with strangers and among ourselves we're ahead of the actual production of the thing so we'll run mm -hmm. something completely test it record it it's good to go so that you know it works it's integrated with the system um, as far as the content goes but then it's like okay but eventually we're gonna have to go back release those recordings produce the actual text for it. And once we have, mm. you know, a publishing mechanism in place, put that book out. So it's it's mm. a strange situation where we're ahead of our own content, you know. <laughs> to catch up yeah. And speaking of world with us settings, uh, Ride the Lightning 
is one mm-hmm. that was taken from Land of a Thousand yeah. Tracks that Daniel adapted, and it's a absolutely crazy. Uh, oh boy, is it, is it two or three parter? Rob played that one. Yeah, I did. I did. Crashlander, right? Yeah, that was me. No, oh, but that was a crazy one. That was amazing. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> one day I will play a OSR Plus game where I'm not a complete psychopath. But... <laughs> he got saddled with a lot of psychopaths, like DNF. He yeah. got handed the literal psychopath. Yeah, DNF. He was an edge lord. Oh, I was an edge lord psychopath in the Dungeons <laughs> yeah. and Dragons. Yeah. Yes. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, Fear the Light, which is our, our actual mm-hmm. play yes. that's up on YouTube. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was also a world build with us setting. And on top of that, we started playing around with a new format that's kind of like the serious Dungeons and Flagons or semi-serious no. um, that we're calling TBD RPG. Yeah. And in that, we actually so in Dungeons and Flagons, we roll up a, a wacky scenario using tables and, and a D twenty. But each character also rolls up two adjectives and then either their kit or class. And the adjectives are really off the wall and lewd and wacky, whatever. But in this one, we rolling up the flaws and the conflicts, right? which are mechanics. I think it was also like um, an archetype from yeah. popular fiction, popular culture, fiction, whatever. Um, so we've run that twice, twice. Yeah. And yeah. the second time we did a little bit more world building as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sierra yeah. Ron's on it with us. Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that, that TBD RPG definitely takes a lot of um, cues off of what you guys do on world build with us. And instead of just making this game that we talk about and imagine as a video game or a tabletop RPG, we actually then play it, you know, so mm-hmm. we, we pack the world together. DQ goes and starts building his adventure while whoever's left as players will just start talking and start figuring out, you know, what our deeper bonds are in between us. And then we go right into it. And it was, it's uh, we're doing another one this Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I don't even know what's happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they only take uh three to four hours, the TBD RPGs, yeah. which is impressive given that we're creating a world, creating characters, figuring out how our characters are linked, and also playing the actual game, the one shot. And we've also been playing around with a, a quick session zero like kind of jam. We've been playing around with that idea of doing kind of the same thing, like getting prompts and then just running with it and build like, as if we were going to play a whole campaign. But then mm-hmm. that's just that's just more of a theoretical thing, which is a lot of fun. Which I would also like to mention: the session zeros in OSR Plus are very different from your typical session zero. In that most session zeros, you just focus on what the, the structure of the campaign is going to be, what the expectations are, what the safety measures are, which are all very important and all very great things. OSR Plus takes it a step or two further by actually giving a promise of a premise. Of like this is what it's going to be. Here is a basically a slideshow to get you in the headspace, and then hands it over to the players and says, "Flesh out the rest of this world. Let's figure out what do these factions mean, who belongs to them, what brings you all to the table, and how do you know each other, and what story hooks reside within you that we will continue to flesh out as we play." Yeah, and I can attest to that as well as someone who's played in one of those OSR Plus games. Um, actually, I take it back. I wasn't a complete psychopath in that one. Yeah, you um, you played an early version of Gabby on the Portal, and you had a very deep character. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was a that was a great early game uh, as mm-hmm. well. I played. Uh, I actually played with John's brother in that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in that mm-hmm. series, yeah. And you also helped us fix a uh, fighting mechanic. So thank you. Oh yeah. 
Look, I, I enjoy finding character I exploits. It's the fun part. He's very tactical. <laughs> it's play testing, though. That's, that's the <laughs> exactly, part of the, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm like, I'm going to break this. My character yeah. is invincible now. Sorry. I mean, also, <laughs> he also helped begin the road of figuring out how to mechanize some um, dramatic stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. So like you get monologues in that one just naturally because that's what you do like as a GM and as a player. And later mm-hmm. on, we decided, well, you know, there should be a mechanical reward or interaction for doing that in the system. And so now a monologue is actually mm-hmm. a thing you can do. Hell yeah. Yeah, which I love that it brings in those things that you can do in other RPGs and makes it a mechanical thing that you are rewarded for. Like Mm. the fact that conflicts and flaws are built into your character and you can get rewards for using them and acting in that way or or the the issue of alignment or ethos in OSR Plus where you can get rewarded for acting like in line with what you believe in as a character. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the monologue thing, which like I've done a couple times now too. And it's really fun. Fantastically. Just... <laughs> yeah. My God, they're good ones. Yeah. You made me cry. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it might be worth um, going back to what John was saying about um, session zero. Cause I think that speaks to sort of the heart of what I intended with it. Like in each RPG, there's a different kind of goal depending on what the designer wanted. You know, like you can argue, for example, that in 5e, part of it is is gaining power and becoming more powerful and, um, you know, getting more options so you can do more things. And that's one of the goals in the game. And in Powered by the Apocalypse, for example, one of the things that's argued in it is that part of in discovering your character's interiority is, is at the heart of, of what the game is about. And in OSR Plus, I wanted, um, I always, when I play an RPG personally, I want to be able to be the hero I set out to be and accomplish the things that make sense for his kind of destiny. So whether I'm like some evil wizard who's trying to become a lich or whether I'm like the paladin trying to save the kingdom, like I want to fulfill my destiny, right? And in order to do that, the game has to give me like opportunities to do that. And I might fail and I might succeed. I don't know that's what playing ends up letting me do. But mm-hmm. the reason why I mentioned that is because we then designed it so that the system will actually let you do that. So um, in session zero, what the GM is trying to do is tease out what we call story hooks so that we can understand the things that the player is interested in doing um, as part of their character's destiny. And then the GM goes back and a kind of Justin Alexander style um, develops what he calls nodes to put together the adventure. And in those nodes, there are those story hooks. Um, That way the player can interact with that and then start to fulfill Mm. their destiny or or in the terms of the game, like resolve their conflict. And Mm. in the Game Master's Guide that I wrote it, 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 talks you through how to do that as a GM. And and I think session zero is super important because you can't build the adventure and actually have the player do the thing that the game is about unless you tease out those story hooks. Yeah. And speaking of session zeros, uh, John was on an Aphidange episode recently with Daniel and I that should be out by the time this episode airs where uh, we, we actually ran sort of a mini sample condensed session zero in the OSR Plus style and had a lot of fun with it. So if you are a giant aphid or god-pacted patron, you'll have access to that and you can check it out on our Patreon. Now, we've been talking a lot about OSR Plus, uh, the journey, part of the mechanics and kind of how it's manifested itself. 
I want to give you guys the opportunity to really talk about the mechanical aspect. Like how does OSR play? Like, obviously we've talked about how fast and easy it is to get into it, but let's talk about the conflict resolution mechanics, right? Daniel said it's like 2d6 to kind of roll the stats and everything, but how do the classes break down? How do you really make manifest the unique identity for your character? Um, at its core, there's three resolution mechanics. And OSR Plus borrows from PBTA and the old school style in different ways. Um, and I can get to why that is. But the system uses 1d6, and it has advantage and disadvantage. And the three sorts of mechanics or the three tools that the, the GM can reach for um, are either you know a roll against a flat TN, which is what you'd expect from something more traditional like 5e, success at a cost uh, where you can't really fail, but we're measuring how well you did. And that tends to be the core mechanic in PBTA where, you know, success at a cost tends to be the average role. Um, And then we also have the option to roll for an entire scene and break that scene down involving the entire party. And that tends to be something you'd see maybe in like Burning Wheel for some of the more dramatic stuff. And the reason why we structured it that way is because I wanted the GM to have uh, what I call tools, not rules. And, and in the OSR style, that's usually phrased as rulings over rules. So the the rules are written in a very terse, simple, short way. That way there's gaps in the understanding and the GM can step in and you know make those rulings choose the mechanic to solve the problem. And then its core, the, the role is a D6, you know, pleasure attribute, just so you expect the attributes range from um, one to seven, but they go up to 11, depending on how powerful you get. You could add a skill, um, you could add a story tag. So that's an additional plus two. So technically a plus four is the max. And the story tags uh, derive from your character's conflicts and flaws. So if I'm like a uh, the hunted, right? I might have a story tag that's something like um, fast on my feet because I've been chased by people. And I can apply that uh, narratively. And that's uh, it's, a, it's a mechanic that's part of the narrative rather than my character on top of my skill, say reflexes. And then I add my attribute and I roll that D6. So the, the numbers stay pretty small. And the idea is that every time I'm rolling, I'm thinking about what's happening in the fiction. And then I model you know, the action that I'm taking to, to measure up to what's happening with the role. Yeah, to piggyback on what DQ said, um, one of the cool things about OSR Plus is that every action you want to do starts off with a conversation between the player and the GM. And most people think, well, that's what normally happens. Like, you know, if you're playing 5e and you're like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to climb this wall, they'll be like, make an athletics check, which is funny because you can't do acrobatics. It has to be athletics when you're climbing and jumping. (laughs) Anyway. So that's a stupid role, but that's all it is. It's okay. Are you proficient athletics? You can add this to it, blah, blah, blah. And you know, what's your stat that applies to strength? Okay. Blah, 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 blah. You hit the button. If you're on, you know, a VTT and it rolls the dice for you and that's it. And OSR plus you're like, I want to climb this wall. And then the GM says, okay, you want to climb that wall over here with the ladder or you want to climb that wall? That's like sheer wet face. And you're like, no, I want the sheer wet face. Cause I'm an idiot. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, well, how are you going about that? And you're like, well, I'm going to like scope it out. And, and I notice that there are handholds there, but also I have this rope on me. So I'm going to actually declare that I have a supply of a grappling hook and rope. And I'm going to throw that up there. And you start to build on things. It's not just this like, here's what you want to do. Okay, here's the rule to do it. it it's a conversation. It's a flowing mm-hmm. organic thing and becomes collaborative. And you can you know, also kind of bargain and finagle your way into things. And 
I'll be like, oh, I want to, um, you know, start a riot in this place. And, you know, the GM will ask you, are you going to start like punching people? Like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try to um, knock over something. So it hits someone and they think someone else did it. And he's like, okay, well, that's more of a death move. And then it would be mighty of just going in there. So it's like, there's ways to work around and work the story into your actions that is then further supported by whatever the mechanics that would be to resolve that, that check. Yeah. And the dimensions too of that, there's only three, which makes it really easy for the GM is mm -hmm. mighty death smart. And you know, there's, there's nothing innovative about that. It's intentionally boring because that's what we expect <laughs> those three dimensions of the stats. Um, and when you apply like a skill to it, it's not like you're pushing the button on your sheet to say like, I'm going to use acrobatics. So that's explains what's happening in the fiction. It's more like, well, I happen to have domain knowledge psychology so I'm going to apply that to my conversation with the guard because I'm going to trick him into thinking that I'm supposed to be here, right? Because that will help me in my role. So at every step, you have to interrogate the fiction and then work with the GM to figure out how you model that action with the role. Yeah, and I would say that the mighty deaf smart takes a bit of getting used to if you're coming from like a more typical RPG like D&D where you have the, the six uh, attributes because it can take a little bit getting used to like, okay, Mighty represents physical strength, but also like willpower and inner strength. And deft represents physical dexterity and agility, but also it can be like wit and how charming you are, um, which can also lead to some really interesting characters that, you know, you might think, oh, if I just build an idiot who has like maxed out mighty, no smart at all, he's just not going to be able to contribute anything to conversations or um, he won't be able to navigate socially, but you can still have him do really interesting and fun things because of that sort of overlap. Yeah. And this also carries over into combat as well, um, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite things in all TTRPGs is combat. <laughs> and I specifically, I like to play melee players. I like to play marshals. Um, and we've been doing a good job, I think, of making them a little bit more build up and be able to compare, mm -hmm. get that divide smaller. But um when you're in combat, you, you you know, you're obviously, there are checks to see if you can hit things, whatever, but you can also bring in the fiction. Uh, there's a mechanic called fate points, which actually allows you to change the fiction to your advantage as a player. And then so like in a recent game, my cocky noble took a shot at this giant monster and just missed him. But I used a fate point and got to add a, a exploded die on top of that. And we, we narrated it as that it ricocheted because he's kind of a lucky bastard. And it like ricocheted off something and hit the monster in the back of the head. But beyond just the physical aspects of combat, the spell and the spell design, um, you could do some crazy stuff. Like we had a, a newer player in a situation where her character was being attacked by a zombie. And her whole thing <laughs> was that she, her character was like, didn't know she had the powers until she used them. It was like kind of discovering it herself. And she used a spell called Rainbow Bridge. And the way that spell was meant to be used is that you make a bridge over a gap and anyone stand on, on it, which is we would think would be your friends gets transported across this bridge to the other side of the gap. Nope. She used it on the monster and shot him out a window because <laughs> as it's written, as it can be interpreted, whoever's standing on it can make a check against it, but then they're thrown out the window. And I was like, Holy shit. Like this is just your second RPG you've ever played. <laughs> and the first right. one was a drunken thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And like speaking also to more of the spell versatility is like in that same uh, short campaign, I was playing a cleric who was all about healing and holy divine energy and stuff. And I had the spell that could let me turn liquids into holy water. And we were, you know, facing off against zombies a lot of the time. And at one point I was uh, 
kind of cornered in a body of water with zombies rapidly approaching. And I was like, wait, can I just turn this whole body of water into holy water? Like, does that work? Yes. Okay, cool. And um, stuff like that are turning, you know, rain into holy water. And it, it gives you a lot of freedom, um, I think, in part because of how cleanly the spells are written. They're not, you know, if you're used to looking at D&D spells, you, you think of like this massive wall of text that has all these mechanical things in it and distances and cones and areas of effect and so on. But this is much more simple, much easier to just sort of use your imagination to tell the story that you'd like to tell. Although it plays well on virtual tabletops using maps and stuff like that, there was yes. play testing. It is definitely built for theater of the mind. And like that's yeah. even I've run two, um, two short lived campaigns cause they're kids, but for like nine year olds. And it was hilarious just being able to like, just throw up an image on a TV and you know, I'm playing in person and like, Oh, here's, here's a Yeti. What do you want to do? And like the, the ideas that they would come up with, you know, <laughs> staying within the rules of OSR plus and me not having to fudge anything, but just kind of talk with these kids and see how they would do things. It, mm -hmm. it was amazing how it would work and how just, you know, their, their uh, unsullied minds could just come up with these great solutions and, and complex resolution. Yeah. I, I think part of the way that I, we try to solve for that in the system is like, there's two things. One is the gaps, like intentional gaps. So like Courtney was saying, a spell is a paragraph and it leaves a lot of room for interpretation on purpose. But then on top of that, there is a logic behind them such that you can reason your way out how things should work. And it, this is explained in, in depth in the Game Master's Guide, even in the core rules. But what that lets you do is instead of having to say, figure out, okay, well, how far can the spell affect someone? And like, is it an area of effect of a cone, like you were saying, or is it 66 damage, all that nonsense? Um, everything is scalable for the mage. So the, depending on how much power the mage wants to put into something, all the parameters of the spell expand. And so situationally, they can decide how powerful their effects are. And because mm -hmm. there's a built-in logic, it's a lot easier to extrapolate for both the GM and the player. They don't need to reference something because they know, for example, if they put in 5 MP, that means the spell is going to last five you know, rounds plus their level. Like That's the case for all the spells. And there's not spell levels. There's, there's very little fiddly bits. Um, one of the things I really missed from, from 2E, for example, that's where it came from, is I always wanted to cast the really cool spells. Like, who doesn't want to cast, like, you know, the ninth level spells or the, the seventh level spells? But how many times do you get to the level to be able to actually use mm -hmm. those spells? So in, in OSR Plus, every spell is available to you at level one. It's just a matter of how powerful its effects can be, depending on how powerful you are. Um, mm -hmm. So things like that. I wanted to keep things simple and accessible and fun and usable more than anything else. Another cool thing with the logic overriding the mechanics is that if your character was to catch on fire in 5e, whatever thing caught you on fire would have a rule of what the check you're supposed to make, how you determine that target number for the check, blah, blah, blah. And then that would probably take your action to do it. In OSR Plus, it could take your action, but you could also maybe argue with your DM that it takes your movement, that you're able to like stop, drop, and roll, and then mm. do something else. Like there's, there's a lot of room for GM fiat. There's a lot of room for the rule of cool to override what would be just, you know, in other systems, a strictly mechanical thing. And uh, I, you know, like you said, there, there, there's gaps, not just in the spell design, but there's gaps just in the overall approach to how you play. Yeah. And I, I do want to clarify that gaps doesn't mean frustratingly vague. Like I, yes. I'm, I'm a person who really likes <laughs> concrete, this is what it is mm -hmm. kind of things, but it gives you just enough freedom to feel like, 
fantastical in what you're doing and to be able to, you know, not just hurl 10d6 damage dealing fireballs, but to do anything with the fire ability that you have and so on. And like, it's, it's more about flexibility than anything, I think. Man, I really got to get my hands on a spellcaster in OSR Plus because yeah. I feel like, yeah. much like John, I am a big fan of Marshalls, but I feel like if I had my hands on some magic, oh, yeah. I had a lot of it's fun. It's crazy, man. It's it's fun, yeah. I mean, I have to say that, like, so Wonder, Wonders and Wickedness that I mentioned in the beginning and some just other similar OSR systems like this that uh, reinterpreted how magic could work in the old school style, that's kind of where I borrowed the idea and then I built on top of that. Um, for example, Maleficence, which is what Courtney was referencing, is none of the spells in the system do damage, not a single one. They're all intended to alter reality in some way. But wizards have this power called Maleficence, which is kind of like an X-Men ability. Like if I'm if I took the cold Maleficence, I can do anything that Iceman could do, like as I can imagine. And that's the thing that does damage for them. So the, the reason why you know that Maleficence isn't defined is because you know you could decide to freeze the grounds or the guards slip, you could freeze the lock so you can get through the door, you could just blast someone with an ice bolt all those things are possible and the rules let you do it by counter box yeah that was always one of my pain points with other rpgs is how restrictive they can end up feeling in that you you might have a certain idea in mind for your character but that build isn't optimal or mm -hmm. um you'd be better off you know taking a different spell and it was always annoying to know like i've got to decide between Oh, the spell is perfect for my character. It fits her exactly what she is, but it's kind of shitty compared to, you know, fireball or chain lightning or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You want to do damage, you got to take fireball. It can't be an right. ball. It can't be a lightning ball or an acid ball or a sound <laughs> ball. You've got right. to take fireball. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and this lets you build kind of anything that you want, which is which is really great to have that freedom. But there's also plenty of room for rules lawyers like myself to well yeah. actually. <laughs> I mean, my as much as the other players at the table might hate that I remind the GM that there's. I mean, I love you. <laughs> I love you too, DJ. We, we, we don't have to go into that though. There'll be a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really love about the system is just how creative it allows the players to be. And at the same time, it seems like a really easy game to run as well. Like it feels very GM forward with a lot of collaboration in mind for the players as well. Daniel, do you want to talk a little bit about like how you, cause, cause you're mostly the GM for this game. So do you want to talk about how you designed both the GM guide and the game itself to kind of help facilitate those kinds of stories for GMs? Yeah. Um, I would say the biggest thing, the biggest credit I have to give is obviously our hero, Justin Alexander, right? Because, and you, there's other episodes recorded with him, but where he talks about how to think about an adventure structure. Um, and so when I was, I mean, in, in the beginning, I didn't know about this because you had introduced me to it. But once I found out about it, I reconsidered, okay, well, how do we, how do we make use of this in the tools that the game gives for GMs to build adventures? Um, so Session zero is a huge part of that because it gives you the story hooks to then put together your nodes that the players can bounce around in. But beyond that and setting up the actual adventure, I wanted everything to be really simple and quick. That way the GM is only spending maybe a couple hours to put together an adventure. And as we can see in TBD RPG and Dungeons and Flagons, you can do it in 30 minutes if you want to. Um, one of the ways we do that is what I call NPC shorthand. 
And it's a it's a shorthand way of writing out monster stats or NPC stats that you can do literally in a note card. Um, and you could do it in your head. Like you don't have to look anything up necessarily to to put these creatures together. And I've, I've demonstrated this when we run these these quick one shots. Um, everything's short paragraphs in the actual rules, and there's only a certain number of status effects and a certain number of forms of damage. Um, and there's a lot of freedom for the GM to create stuff that's still within the bounds of the rules that all can be expressed in NPC shorthand. So that's described on the website. Um, we talked about tools, not rules. So the, the, the rules are meant that you don't have to constantly reference in them. Instead, the GM can just pick from the three core mechanics and riff off that in order to solve any possible situation. And while there are, you know, given rules for certain things, especially in combat, because that game mode is more specific, um, other game modes give you a lot more freedom. Like we have the overworld, which is a way of conducting play outside of your characters. So if you're doing like um, a big war that's happening, or maybe like you're traversing the city and seeing what's happening between factions, the sort of thing you'd see in PBTA of like fronts and um, the way they express that, that's expressed through the overworld. So across all the game modes, the other ones being exploration, downtime, which we didn't even get to, um, all the mechanics are the same. That way the GM, it's really easy for the GM to transition between them and nothing is too fiddly. There's not many dials to deal with. And so I would say if you were interested in checking it out to definitely read the Game Master's Guide because it lays out not only the philosophy, but also like, how do we use these rules in this particular game? And, you know, how do I build an adventure? It's all there for you. For free. <laughs> for free. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've got to say, we could sit here for hours discussing all the ins and outs of the OSR Plus, but we have yearning questions from our patrons that we have to get to. Plus, there's no reason that we can't turn this into an aphid lounge or just have you back on for a second episode, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, obviously, I have your numbers, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're it around. Be sometimes. terribly hard, you know. Yeah, not like we talk every week or anything yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, all right. So let's go ahead and jump right into those patron-only questions. So, Commissar Whiskers wants to know, how would you build the classic lawful stupid paladin? <laughs> I'm assuming they mean lawful stupid and not like a nuanced, interesting, lawful uh-huh. good character. Uh, I, I am a big fan of playing lawful good characters in general, but that's neither here nor there. So, Daniel, Courtney, John, how do we deal with this? What are we looking at here? So lawful stupid, do we mean, um, because my understanding of that typically is like a stupidly lawful good character who's a goody two-shoes. Do we mean that or do we mean something like Paver from Toy Miz? I think in my understanding, the lawful stupid uh, aspect basically restricts the fun from Mm -hmm. other characters. That's why I don't think that goody two-shoes is asking how to be. Yeah. Javert is not lawful stupid. All right. That's a man that has black and white morality, but he's not lawful stupid. I I would argue he's like rage rage neutral. (laughs) I would argue the reason why I ask is he's like kind of like a lawful neutral character. But okay, so this way, so if we're talking lawful stupid, your typical goody two shoes paladin who can't do anything that breaks his moral codes, and he's like, he tells everyone else, don't don't torture that guy and don't hit that guy, and he's just constantly complaining about misbehavior of all of his murder hobo companions um the the system has something called ethos and ethos is is a version of alignment that we um reinterpreted to mean um it's a way of divorcing good and evil um as concepts from the axes so instead of good and evil we're talking about things like altruism and egotism um and we're, we're talking about you know duty and justice 
Uh, so the the axes are slightly different. So in, in in OSR Plus, you know, a lawful good character would be someone who's obviously altruistic because he cares about the welfare of other people. But he also acts on principle. Like he only he has a strict moral code that he follows. The the totality of that is called guardian. So we have these sort of profiles for each of the traditional alignments that relate more to what we'd expect out of, you know, classic moral philosophy, something that is meaningful rather than everybody kind of debating what does good mean? You know, what does evil mean? Like that these questions are too relative. And so in this system in, in ethos, we have new axes to use. That way you could play a campaign, say, where you're all pirates and your goals as pirates is to steal shit and burn places and be jerks, right? And so you're clearly all egotists because you're out for yourselves. And maybe in that came the definition of good is egotism, is to be selfish. And the bad guys are the, the buccaneers who have come out of the neighboring country who want to establish order and make you pay taxes and care about the welfare of your friends. And you're like, fuck them. I'm a selfish bastard. And that's good. So and that, so in that campaign, the GM would define good that way. You know, so that's why I think it's important to have ethos because it lets you set up your setting in a way for interesting conversations and interesting adventures. Um, you can play your classic Lord of the Rings heroic fantasy where everybody's altruistic and then lawful good would be your superhero, you know? Yeah, John did point out to me that I did play a lawful stupid character, which I I pushed back against at first and then I realized that one of his flaw tags is literally lawful stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a, a cleric inquisitor character that I played in a campaign that's ended now. And I would not define him as as good uh, at no. all. He he actively tortured people a lot, but he was very law abiding. Was basically like a judge dread kind of figure. And um, unfortunately, the the sort of authority figure in our group ended up being Daniel's character, who was very evil. Uh, so I, I just followed orders, and yeah. <laughs> and, and one way you can interpret that, like lawful here, when we talk about ethos, right? The, the word instead isn't lawful. Um, we don't we don't use that. We have a different mm-hmm. for it. Um, what that means is acting on principle. So your you know Judge Dread esque character, you know his principles are that to be aligned with the state. And my, mm-hmm. my egotistical you know mastermind character represented the state, right? Yeah. So. You know, for him to follow his principles is literally to follow the letter of the law. It can mean other things, right? And so that's what I mean by it's, he's stupid. Like he he like is very rigidly following those laws, and he doesn't yeah. care about egotism or altruism. So he's he's skeptic. He's in the middle, mm-hmm. neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he he was adjudicator. So he was that you know the closest parallel to the alignment would be lawful neutral, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, right. but more importantly, like you're saying, it's it's not it's not that he's like in the middle of like good and evil it's that's not at all he just he's just not looking out for the good of the people he's looking out for the good of the state mm-hmm. and uh you know and the tag of judicator it says you do what must be done according to the dictates of your religion or creed at great uh risk to your life or reputation like that's that's how if he wanted to make a sacrifice on his ethos that's what he would have to do and mm-hmm. we didn't have that mechanic in that game at the time but you would have definitely gotten a lot of fate points back yeah by the way you act oh, i think i i think i did actually use it at least once or twice. Oh, did you? Oh, to me. I think so. Yeah. It's all like it, the system <laughs> then rewards you. So, like, if you fulfill your ethos at great cost to yourself, then the GM gives you a fate point, and fate points let you do is control the narrative. So it becomes, you know, like if, if the game is about fulfilling your destiny as a character, controlling the narrative so you can do that is something you want, and that's how it rewards you. Yeah. To answer 
to not really answer Commissar Whisker's question is I think there are a lot of ways to build lawful stupid, like to be the classic paladin figure, you could be the paladin class, you could be the cleric class, um, you could kind of be any class you want because of the modularity of the system. It lets you be flexible in how you interpret, you know, your powers and where they come from. And there are also the kits that add more uh, mechanics, more flavor to your character. So like, like I said, my character was a cleric class with a kit of Inquisitor, um, which let him interrogate people, basically. So there, there's not an easy answer to how exactly to build Awful Stupid, other than you can do it in so many ways. Yeah. Just name name the character you want to emulate from popular culture, fiction, whatever, or history. I can guarantee you can do it. And if you can't, mm-hmm. then we're adding that as a kit or class or origin <laughs> somehow. We'll that's that's what we're looking for as gaps. Yeah. Yeah, like all our kits come from from uh genre. So it's like we don't start by thinking like, oh, I want to have character that uses the shield to attack, right? Like that's not a that's not a genre, that's not a concept. We start with something that's like, um, well, I want to be a Valkyrie leader of the people, Joan of Arc character. That's something we know of. Now, what's genre is the wrong word for it. That's something that's like a trope that exists in yeah. fiction, right? So the kit Valkyrie exists for that. So if there's a trope we're missing, we will add it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn straight. Mm. Well, uh, we're going to move on to uh, another patron of ours, Kaiser, who says, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit, but Kaiser wants to know how in depth does this go? And is it possible to homebrew within the system? Oh, yeah, I would say that playing the game is a practice in homebrewing. We have in the Game Master's Guide explanations of how to homebrew every aspect of it. But as a GM, you're actively homebrewing. Like, there's, it's meant for you to take the toolbox and build whatever you want with it. So it's it's not like a top-down, it's a bottom-up sort of way to play it. Mm. There's, I'm looking at it now, there's literally a section that it's, it's called homebrew, and it goes over different subsections of spells, origins, classes, kits, archetypes stances treasure like it it really is it's uh you kind of thought of everything didn't you buddy i tried with all the cocaine i'm out of cocaine now (laughs) (laughs) kaiser would be so pissed that that was the answer (laughs) (laughs) i would say to kaiser check out the homebrew section you could there's this is not a straight jacket system it is a toolbox yeah that's the best way Mm -hmm. i can describe it you know Mm -hmm. great so we also have another question from one Diplo Raptor, where Diplo wants to know, how do you feel about the tendency for old school revival games to encourage and or bring out negative attitudes often found underlying within the role playing game community, drawing out often negative or vindictive slash self-righteous opinions about how this is the right or correct way to game and you not enjoying the high lethality makes you not a real gamer, you know, gatekeeping that is often a hallmark of osr style titles what a mouthful okay wow uh, daniel i'm sure that you have a, i'm sure that you have a yeah. lot of opinions about this so why don't you go first um so i mean first i think we take a step back and ask what is the old school revival style and there's a lot of different texts that explain what that is um but it's important to understand there's it's not a monolith as a community so there's OSR retro clones, and these are games that literally want to replicate first and second edition, right? And that's what they're about. They're, they're about playing that style. And so possibly maybe what he's seeing about people saying to play it a certain way is, is that. Because in retro clones, there is a certain way. It's first edition, you're trying to recreate it, right? 
Then there's OSR adjacent games, which is what we're playing. And that's stuff like Morkborg and Karn. And there's a whole slew of them and Into the Odd. These are ones that are inspired by these old games. And they borrow certain principles, not all of them. It's the same thing in our case. We don't use all the principles of the old school style. Like high lethality isn't necessarily something that we ascribe to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the OSR adjacent games, they're more modern and they're closer to, say, PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse, than they are um, trad games like the 5e, for example. And in that community, I've never encountered people saying this is how you have to play because the whole point of it is to say um, there isn't a right way to play. That's why we have gaps in the rules. That's why there's a lot of interpretation. Every table is different. And OSR adjacent games like celebrate that. Um, now, I will say, too, on top of that, every community has its gatekeepers. When I and I'm all over the communities out there because I'm constantly trying to soak up ideas people have like PBTA, for example, the gatekeepers there are the ones who say, oh, you don't understand power by the apocalypse. You're playing it wrong whenever you complain about anything, right? That's that. That's the gatekeepers there. The gatekeepers in 5e are the ones who say, this build is broken, or this build is stupid, <laughs> or it's not powerful enough. You're not doing it right, right? So there's, there's these gatekeepers are everywhere. I don't think it's fair to say that OSR has a hallmark of gatekeeping. It doesn't make sense to me. I think perhaps um, where you might see that, the gatekeepers there are the ones in the retro clones who are trying to gatekeep the way of playing the old 1E and 2E games. And I think they have a point there. (laughs) Certainly they shouldn't be dicks about it, but that's the kind of game you would want to play if you're playing retro clones. And this is not a retro clone. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, we have one final question from Diplo who says, how do you feel about the dichotomy and split that often exists in the TTRPG fandom on if it should be player driven or not for the story? along with how that interacts with story gaming concepts. I can punt this to my um, companions here, but my simple answer is that uh, the quote-unquote the story is whatever is player-driven. And the way that OSR Plus is designed is that's how it has to be. So like your session zero story hooks determine what the story is. You as a GM come in with a premise, you come in with an idea of what the setting's going to be about, um, say you want it to be about horror and discovering your inner fears and all that, blah, blah, blah. But your players then tell you what they're interested in doing. And then the story is driven by those story hooks. Um, I would just like to add that uh, if you don't want your players interacting and help create the story, then write a fucking book. All right. Don't, <laughs> don't be trying to play a game at a table if you're just going to railroad it. And I have no <laughs> you know, interaction with that world or, or effect beyond rolling dice. Like, you know. Like 5e games don't lead in, especially the, the Dungeon Master Guide does not tell you to do this, but they don't ask you to to be an active participant in the world building uh, mm-hmm. as a player. OSR Plus definitely does that. Um, I can't speak for other OSR games, but uh, I, I feel like that's kind of a, a common theme in them is a more player interaction. And I can't imagine going back to anything else, you know, after after especially the way that we go into it and how deep we get into it. Yeah, and it's been cool to see Daniel build campaigns around what the players want to do, around what their characters are, you know, as characters. Um, like that God Beyond the Portal campaign that Rob, you had played in that sort of first iteration of it. I imagine that your playthrough was so much different than what we're doing now, like just based on um, what what your own characters' backgrounds were and and where they were from and how they interacted with the world versus how we're doing it in our current one. Like I, my character worships a, a certain kind of elder God who's kind of frowned upon. And it turns out that other people in the city are worshiping him too. So I have 
these plot points to connect with. I have these characters to interact with that I'm drawn to. Um, or John's character is like an ex-soldier and, you know, stuff from his military past has come up in uh, some interesting ways. <laughs> and um, so there, there are all these ways that even though it's like the same setting, you can really change it and shift it to be what the characters mm. are adapted to and what the players really want to accomplish in in the game. And also, I believe in your iteration, Rob, you guys, what you, you, you had to end it early, I know, but you guys got like four, four sessions, was it? Four, five, six? I think it was closer to six, yeah. I believe. And you guys got to the halfway point with that. We're currently at session 13, I think, yeah. coming up, or 14. Yeah, and we we're still... haven't reached the cult yet, buddy, remember? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, really? Yeah, well, they well, haven't gotten to, they're, they're just going to meet Annika now. That's how far they're. But... Yeah. The world that we built <laughs> is insane. Yeah. Like the 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 nuance to it and the the personal touches and the like Jesus. I said, like Court, Courtney has made speeches where she made me as a player feel bad about my character's decisions. <laughs> like, like I like I like was gonna come back with something smart ass, and I was like, nope, nope. He puts his he puts his eyes to the ground like a dog that's just peed on the carpet, and, you know. That's that's absolutely wild to me because. I, well, I, I know right. that I talked to Courtney about this a little bit where uh, you guys spent like four hours in a dungeon that we literally walked right past. <laughs> it's 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. Well, it's because it's like, listen, how do we get out of this prison? And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to set a fire. And while the guards deal with that, we're going to walk out mm-hmm. the fucking front door. They literally walked and, out like in a movie with the explosion. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, well, that's what happens when I ask the question, hey, how much like lantern oil is in this <laughs> barrack area? And Daniel's like, Oh, there's a bunch. And I'm like, good. <laughs> and that's, it was so great seeing that too, because I'm in my head, I'm comparing, you know, the different choices people have made. And what's funny mm-hmm. is, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the, the premise, I set it all up, like similar characters came out of it. Like um, Rob's character and John's have a similar sort of setup and origin, but they ended up playing out totally differently. And what's also interesting is like the mood of the setting, the same behaviors came out. Like Rob originally was was uh, inspired to do these monologues. And then the players now, even though that's a mechanic that's defined, like they're also just doing it. It's weird that the mm-hmm. setting kind of makes you behave a certain way, you know? Well, I think that for my character, especially in that game, it was kind of a necessity because... Yeah. Like I was having these like long conversations with Daniel about like the Mm -hmm. thought process of my character and like the other players had no idea what was going on. And Daniel's like, you got to get that out because otherwise they're just going to think you're a fucking monster. (laughs) And then I have like, I have like this scene with like a dying admiral and like kind of. They just did that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just like, oh man, this is, you know, like, and it's like, oh he isn't just a monster. He has a deep sense of humanity. He's just a broken man. And then I remember like that was a big shift in the table that night as well. When people were like, Oh, he's not just like a slab of iron who like hits stuff. Right. And I thought that was a really fun and interesting kind of exploration of that. That, that moment is always like pretty wild because we just did that moment and it was almost the same feeling, right. Of meeting that dying Mm -hmm. soldier, but a completely different character. It wasn't mm-hmm. my character who right. is, who's you know, has shares the same archetype as yours and shares some traits and whatnot, but it was a completely different character who is uh, started off as a shy thing and she's now growing into her own leadership roles and you know mm-hmm. taking on her own responsibility in life, mm-hmm. but still like it 
created that that wow, that touching moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of changes that had to have happened because I'm thinking about that, and I met that character after our encounter with the cults. So yeah, right. Stuff had to get switched mm-hmm. around and moved. Yeah, that's interesting. The magic yeah. of Justin Alexander's book. Go buy his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we can never simp enough for Justin. I will. I'm friggin'. He's my boyfriend at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I think it's time for us to transition over to everyone's favorite portion of the interview process, where we roll some dice and create a jam ready to go. So, our genre for the jam this time is going to be. Oh, oh, this is a good one for Courtney. Uh, we've got body horror on the yes. list. Uh, the theme that we're going to be running is. Ooh, the theme is secrets. So we've got secrets as a theme in the focus. The thing that we're focusing on first is. Ooh, oh, interesting. The downfall of something important. So we've got body horror with a theme of secrets and the downfall of something important. Where do we want to start, folks? Probably the something important, yeah? Yeah. Right away, I'm thinking it's um, some sort of like royalty that's been propped up for very long. That's actually some amalgamation of all these like bodies and maybe it's like the whole royal line is embedded in one form mm-hmm. um and the secret is perhaps on the verge of being revealed which would lead to the downfall of of this royal line oh okay when i hear that i also can't help but think of like the Habsburg chin and like yeah, yeah. massive incest has led to the degradation of this massive like noble amalgam right yeah so maybe that's what's happened is that they've become so inbred that normally you can have this flesh amalgam that is a ruling class but something's happened where it's become more and more unstable as they maintain the bloodline so to speak can we um, throw in so courtney introduced me to scavenger's reign this um Mm -hmm. amazing sci-fi cartoon about like alien biology um and a lot of other stuff can we say there's remember remember the old lady with the horrifying thing? Yep. Spoil yep. anything. Um, yep. can we say that this family has some sort of like massive parasite thing that changes mm. their biology that they've lived with over the generations? Maybe it's gonna make them powerful. Oh, it's like riding, yeah. it's like yeah, maybe it's like symbiosis with it yeah. somehow. And yeah. that's what it's just like Rob was saying, like there's a lot of inbreeding because of it. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with the foundation series, Asimov? Um it's an I... TV show too. I only watched the first season of the show. I haven't read the book though. But just like I was thinking along those concepts, basically that the idea is that there's um the emperor of like the known world or known universe, sorry, um, clones themselves. And mm-hmm. there's always an elder version, a middle aged or you know, later twenties version, and a younger version that live together and they rule over. Um, but they're just clones. And you know, not to spoil anything, but something happens along that line throughout the year. And, and the story—it's it's a pretty cool story. It takes place over hundreds of years, kind of jumps around these different time periods to kind of build this universe. But I see it as something like that. Whereas you know, we're saying that it's you know not even just inbreeding, but maybe it's just this—they keep reinventing themselves, and it's actually mm. just this parasite that's within them that keeps moving from body to body. 
So it's basically the same mind that's running it, but it's running yeah. these, you know, the new leader, it, no matter who you vote for, you're still getting the parasite. Yeah. yeah. You said maybe not inbreeding, but I do still want to keep that aspect because it's gross. Uh, <laughs> and I'm yeah. picturing like this, uh, this gross flesh beast thing below the castle, below the throne room or something that is Ooh. like mind controlling Yes. In part, the royal family to basically interbreed because it it wants some mm -hmm. perfect form that it's after, which is of course horrible and grotesque and disgusting. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been like doing this for generations and generations, yeah, uh, influencing them. All right, it. all right. I like Courtney. Also, want to keep the inbreeding. Uh, <laughs> I fully support Courtney in her, her in her desire for inbreeding uh, for sure. Okay. I have I have an idea though. I love the idea that there is something that is mind controlling individual nobles in the pursuit of something that is a perfect creation. However, yeah. I want to keep the giant flesh pile of like myriad, like old nobles. Mm, yeah. What I'd like to think instead is that when the parasite gets bored of one of these bodies, they toss it into this <laughs> it, that gets reincorporated into a flesh soup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like yes. it's it's just a pile of rejects, effectively. And by the way, we, we can all imagine that there's a revolution coming, and once that revolution happens, the parasite's just going to take over the new leader, right? Like to maintain this veneer of you know uh control by the humanoid citizen. That's the end credit scene, right? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the secret is exposed, right? There is the the flesh pile gets lit on fire or dissolved in some way, and then the king dies, and then you cut to the leader of the revolution, who's now part of a council, right? Like it's it's switched to democracy, mm -hmm. and then you, there's like some telltale sign that all of the members of that democratic council have been converted as well. Yeah, it's like the Jory. What's the Jordan Peele movie? The for first breakout one. Get, get, out. get out, get out, get out. That's giving me some vibes with the coagula kind of deal. But in this uh, case, yeah. we got a fucking flesh pile, which is better. <laughs> did you have to go down and bang the flesh pile in the basement? Well, maybe you do. You? I yeah. hope so. <laughs> and then yeah, you get okay. absorbed when you bang it. You get absorbed. Yeah, you, and then, you bang yeah. this, this woman or thing that's attached to the flesh pile, oh, and God. then it absorbs yeah. you as you're banging it. It's yeah. like the mother that's like the great, yes. great, 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 great grandmother yeah. of this line that's been yeah. kept alive. And it's like this whole ritual where you like derobe into the yeah. nude oh, and stuff no. like that and accept yeah. yourself into it. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, no, that's awful and horrible, yeah. and I love it. So yeah, I love this. This is great. Look, look, it's body horror. You should be squirming when you're thinking about it. Okay? Do you get to that's pick your hole, or is there a sanctioned one? There's lots of holes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that they make like a like a chorus of mouths, right? Yeah. Like just like a panoply of orifices for you to pleasure oh, yourself with. Mm -hmm. So oh, it's kind of like what's the movie that Courtney that you made us watch that we all just it's just horrifying scene at the end? Um, um the dancers. But you love by the way both suspirias are good for different reasons but the remake is quite special i still need to watch the original i, I don't know i keep putting the original it is very very different yeah um, but yeah anyway okay all right I, I, I'm happy here. Yes. We've got flesh piles. We've got orifices. We've got royalty and a cut scene. So we're good. Uh, I think now, now normally, right? Like we'd go into the rapid fire questions, but y'all have been here forever. 
So I think what we're going to do is we're going to put John on the spot here and force <laughs> him to go through the quick fire ones. So, John, my wife wants to know, is soup a cereal? No, it's it's not. Just stop. Oh. It's not. It's <laughs> separate things. It's stupid. A hot dog's a hot dog. It's not a fucking sandwich. It's Pizza. a sandwich. It's no, legally, no. It's it's literally literally it's a, a sandwich. Dog. It's, a it's legally dog. a sandwich. You go to New York, you know what it's called? A hot dog sandwich under legal code. So you can go fuck yourself. I don't know what to tell you. Oh no, 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 anyway. no. This is so good. the same thing with tomatoes. They're actually, you know, we know they're a fruit biologically, but legally they're a vegetable. So it's don't 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 bring well, ketchup is all ketchup is also a vegetable if we want to bring that up. Well, that's like some bullshit other yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know someone that, that says that there's only three types of food. There's a salad, there's a pizza, and there's a sandwich. Everything falls into that. And I I have gotten in rage wars with that. <laughs> so wait, is cereal just like a, a grain salad with a cereal be a milk cereal be a salad? Cereal yeah, be a salad yeah. in his opinion. Uh, milk and dressing, I, grain. I bo- yeah, dumb. okay. Yeah, I can get into it. I'm done there. Sure. If you want to be reductive about like, you know, like the hero's journey and the seven stories that have ever been told, we can be reductive about food. Why not? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hard. I'm going to stop on. Uh, One time with, with John, what was that conversation we had with John, which was like to like oh three in the God. morning? We oh made a God. list of everything. Oh, about the, what the old people, the old people list? Yes, like the old people eat. list. Yeah. What were we trying to get out of him? But we couldn't do it. It was what um, was it? We, we were just right. trying to get across what a hypothetical situation was to him and <laughs> like would you ever eat this ever would you be willing to eat this uh and it it was just impossible impossible it was a very long very long <laughs> yeah. conversation. i have very very strong opinions on food it's, it's yes. you know i mean he's like owns two restaurants so that's why yeah. <laughs> yeah but but what's wild to me john is that you're friends with daniel who has like some of the worst <laughs> food takes i've ever heard and like i, I agree but I've also gotten him to eat some things That's that he, has, he never would have thought he would eat. eat. Soup. What about eat soup. what about a burrito? Have you gotten him into the burrito yet? He doesn't I mean, want to eat with his hands. Made it, oh. Yeah, I would try it. You know. Yeah, I would cut it up for wow. hours though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like they're like rings of burrito, so you can see all the way through yeah. it. Like that. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, this quickly devolved into something that wasn't <laughs> rapid fire. Question. So, uh, John, I guess, uh, well, fuck, what, what are the questions I even ask you guys? I don't even remember anymore. I feel like it's been so long. Um, all right. Well, fuck it. We're just going to skip to the end, I guess. Fuck this. So, John. So, John. Yes, sir. Uh, tell us about someone else who isn't yourself that you'd like to promote. Someone else that isn't myself. Well, it's not myself directly, but I'd like to uh, promote our uh, the OSR Plus YouTube channel, which is now putting out its shorts, which I might edit, but it's not about me. Some episodes are. <laughs> but, and uh, now I'm going to, I think I'm about to dig up the, there are third Dungeons and Flagons where our illustrious host here, Rob Hilferty, was actually involved. Yeah. And oh, I remember, boy. I think about 45 minutes of, because that's when I was dumb and I used to smoke pot before Dungeons and Flagons and then drink copious amounts of amaretto <laughs> that night. So yeah, that, that night is a blur. I just woke up with a lot of sticky glasses with uh, sugar ants crawling on them. So that was hell fun. yeah. Jesus. All right. And, and finally, where can people find you and your stuff? People can find me, uh, uh, Johnny Law at Johnny Law. It's J-O-N-N-I-E-L-A-W on YouTube. Um, I'm not the most consistent, but I'm working on it. I put out uh, some shorts with some not really hot, but just quick takes on 
what I think about TTRPGs. And I also put some videos both about OSR Plus and some of the rules, as well as just some ways to bring some of the concepts that we explore in that system over to 5e. Mm. You know, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, if you have good taste, there's no such thing as a hot take, right? You just have really good opinions all the time. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Except about food, Daniel. Except yeah. about food. Yeah. And, and, and like other things. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Daniel, Courtney, John, thank you all very much. Tell us, where can people find OSR Plus? Where can they go to fulfill their old school renaissance slash revival needs? Um, you can go to osrplus.com, um, which is the website. And you should also check us out on YouTube, uh, which actually, what the fuck is the... It's uh, at OSR Plus. Oh, see, I don't even know how to use YouTube. So that's where you can find <laughs> Plus is spelled out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, osrplus.com. All right. Uh, thank you all for continuing to co-host slash be an interviewee, I guess. But seriously, it was a blast. Thank you all very much for coming. I know that it's been a long time in the works. And honestly, this is such a great project. Y'all should definitely go check it out. Yeah, I would I would strongly recommend everybody check out the site. And if it looks like something that's of interest to you, join and you know poke around on the character creator, join our Discord. Uh, we're trying to build up a community on there and on there you can sign up for games and fill out the schedule so that we can try to get you into like a new player session or a Dungeons and Flagons if you enjoy adult beverages and I would like to learn the system that way Uh, and yeah Daniel runs games all over the place so there's that always going on and we have other community stuff like movie nights uh, usually once a month at least and so come hang out with us have a good time fantastic so That was a great interview. Fun times were had by all, especially John. But with that, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on YouTube. Uh, where you can just find us on YouTube and click subscribe for no, don't you just don't do anything else. Just subscribe. That's it. Uh, you can also go to our Twitter at let's world build. And if you want to talk to us more directly, you can go to our discord channel with a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon where you'll get access to sweet, sweet patron only goodies like too hot for broadcast, which there, there might be a too hot for broadcast in this episode. We'll, we'll see how it kind of gets cut up, but among other things, you get the Aphid Lounge, Too Hot for Broadcast, and others. So if you want to support us or just say thank you for the podcast, you can go ahead and do so on our Patreon. That's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together. Until next week.